Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Political Tipster. Uh, now, we've had a bit of a break recently over the summer because uh, there's not been too much action recently. Uh, earlier this week, there was an election in Norway, which saw the left uh, probably coming back into power. They, they gained more seats. But apart from that, it's been fairly quiet. But uh, this month, We've, uh, we're having a few elections towards the end. And one of those is the Canadian uh, elections of the uh, House of Commons. So uh, this week I, I've got a very special guest um, who's, uh, who's been working uh, politically himself. Uh, so I may introduce Chris Elston, also known as Billboard Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Julian. I guess what I'm doing is political uh, work. It didn't really, I didn't intend for it to start out that way, but uh, in this crazy world today, um, I guess it qualifies as political work, even though it shouldn't be. And I guess we can get into that in a second. So could you just explain to me a little bit what it is you do? So, I am basically a full-time activist now, and I travel the country, and I go to events, and I speak at some of them, or I just go to busy places, busy street corners, and I wear signs. I wear a sign on my front that says, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And on my back, I usually have a different message. Gender ideology does not belong in schools. Uh, children are never born in the wrong body. I have a few different signs that I wear. But basically, I'm out there creating awareness about the harm that is coming to kids when they want to switch their sex. And I should preface this by saying I have no issue at all with adults doing whatever they please with their bodies. They should present however they want. If it's going to make them happier, go for it. And that's how 99.9% .9 of people feel. But we have a craze affecting primarily girls, a brand new cohort of adolescent girls who suddenly present with gender dysphoria. When I say suddenly, I mean they never had this their whole life, which has typically historically been the case affecting primarily young boys. But it's a craze going on. It's an absolute craze. It's a social contagion. And we've got thousands of girls all across the Western world, tens of thousands across the Western world, who now say that they're boys. Boys saying that they're girls too. But it's primarily affecting girls. We've seen about a 4,000% increase depending on the jurisdiction. And we're teaching these kids in school now. We teach them gender identity ideology, which literally states, and I just tweeted out some materials from our Teachers Federation yesterday, that some girls are boys, some girls are girls, some are neither a boy or a girl, or some are both. <laughs> like, for the average viewer, I don't need to explain how crazy this is. But we're teaching this to little kids. And these are maybe the biggest authority figures in their lives, certainly probably the second biggest authority figure after their parents, I'm talking about their teachers. And not all teachers are teaching this, but a lot of them are, the young woke ones are for sure. And it's not just confusing kids or creating distress about their gender. The most vulnerable of these children end up at gender clinics at children's hospitals where they are given a drug, which has never been approved for this purpose, but it's a drug in North America called Lupron, uh, maybe where you're at, I think in the UK, it's called uh, triptorelin. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, it's the same drug. And what it does is it stops puberty. So all those things that should happen during puberty don't happen. Girls' breasts won't grow. Boys' genitals won't develop. Girls' hips won't get wider. Boys' shoulders won't get wider. It affects their brain. Uh, boys' Adam's apples won't grow. All, all sorts of things. And... After that, they go on to the next step because this is never just a one-step process. It's the puberty blocking drug, which is 
what this drug was approved for was to treat prostate cancer. Then it was approved to treat endometriosis in women. And it's the same exact drug that we give to pedophiles, sex offenders, to chemically castrate them so that it destroys all of their sex drive. And we'll give this to kids for the entirety of their puberty. And then these children, always the most vulnerable kids with something else going on in their life, they then receive the opposite sex's hormones. So girls getting testosterone, growing beards, getting deep voice, boys getting estrogen. And the facts of this matter are that most of these children, up to 90% of these kids, would see their gender dysphoria, this feeling of incongruity between their sex and their gender, they would see that gender dysphoria go away after puberty because the flood of hormones that come naturally in puberty help to align these kids with their natal sex. And we know this because we have studies into gender dysphoria going back to 1972. And 80 to 90% of the time, these kids, it was predominantly boys, uh, saw their gender dysphoria go away. And the majority of these kids, boys and girls, ended up gay or lesbian in adulthood. So literally what we are doing is we are taking little effeminate boys and girls who present more masculine, this is all stereotypes anyway, and we're stopping their puberty. We are sterilizing these children because when you combine puberty blockers and the opposite sex hormones, it results in sterility. We're destroying all their sexual function. We're destroying their future ability to have relationships. The high court in England in December last year ruled exactly what I'm saying, that children can't give informed consent to these puberty blockers. They listed all the reasons why. Yet here in Canada and other countries, but Canada seems almost the worst. We're not allowed to talk about it. The government pushes it. All the teachers unions push it. All of our mainstream media push this as some romantic idea of a child finding their true self. And with no one pushing back, there's nothing to stop this ideology from continuing to gain steam. So I literally just had enough. I couldn't take it. I've got two girls myself. They're nine, 11 years old. They're not affected by this, but I became aware of what was going on. I got myself informed because I see this as a cult infiltrating our schools basically and all of society. And the more I learned, the more crazy it gets. And I just had enough and I decided to do something which I hope is meaningful with my life and I just go have conversations with whoever wants to have them. And I spread awareness one conversation at a time. Thank you, Chris. And could yeah. you just shine a light on uh, the legal system surrounding this question? Are there any restrictions by the laws to, to try and prevent these children from undergoing this process? No, there's absolutely nothing to prevent it. In fact, <laughs> the government under Trudeau is trying to pass a law it was a Bill C-6, it was called, and it was about conversion therapy. And we see these laws passing all over the world, but they're trying to pass a law that would make it considered to be conversion therapy if you help a child to feel comfortable in their birth sex. So if a girl is having gender distress and wants to be a boy, and through professional counseling, the girl comes to understand that, you know, she's just a girl <laughs> and she can't actually change her sex and she feels more comfortable or whatever. That would be considered conversion therapy, just helping to alleviate the distress in these children. And it's simply a matter of time if this bill passes. Any counselor who has a practice treating gender dysphoric children right now, they have a booming business because this is affecting so many kids and there's so few counselors to help them. They end up with a practice full of these kids. And it's simply a matter of time until activists come to their business, accuse them of conversion therapy, and then they'd be sitting in court defending their practice, facing up to five years in jail, not just for counselors, for parents, faith leaders, anybody. So what it would do, this bill, and what this law, what these laws have done in other jurisdictions 
is put a complete chill on the professional counseling profession and these parents who are getting blindsided because these children are getting indoctrinated in schools and on social media. These parents are getting blindsided and then they can't even find help for their kids. And they're told by activists that you've got a choice. You can either have a dead child or a trans child because we're lied to as well and told that kids have these huge suicide rates if you don't let them transition. And it's a lie. And I have all the studies about this up on my website, billboardchris.com. But it's just, it's a movement led by activists. It's not led by science whatsoever. Mm. And I guess we were all sleeping for a long time because for several years, these activists were making headway and they've succeeded. And all across the Western world, this stuff's being taught in schools and it's pseudoscientific rubbish. We need to get it out of our schools because that's the head of the snake. That's what's causing all the problems. Until we get it out of the schools, we're never gonna be rid of this craze because we're literally teaching kids from kindergarten on up, four years old, five years old, that being a boy or a girl is just a choice. So, yeah. What, I hope that what, answers your question. Sorry, yeah. I ranted a little. No, no. Yeah. Uh, what, what worries me slightly is, uh, so in England, for example, uh, a couple of months ago, there was a big sort of media trial where uh, you may have heard of the organization Mermaid. Uh, they try and push this sort of rhetoric um, that it's essential that children who want to become, uh, who want to transition, must do it before puberty because otherwise puberty prevents them from doing so and uh, there was a recent trial um and actually for once that we got the right decision and um stating that uh, parents uh, should give their consent before that uh, that children could not make this decision alone uh, but recently this week as well slightly different topic, but uh, we've just approved uh, the vaccination of children. For me, the most worrying part about that is not the vaccination itself, it's the fact that actually children's uh, consent can override parental consent. And for me, it's becoming very dangerous because from all fronts, whether it's the, uh, the transgender lobbyists, whether it's with this vaccine, it, it seems to me that this age of consent is, is constantly being attacked at all at all fronts. Uh, have you seen something similar in, in Canada? Yeah, we, every province basically has laws regarding mature minors. Here in my province, British Columbia, we have an act called the Infants Act, which is a really ancient law, actually, I think stemming from England originally, but it's been revised in previous decades. But it states that Parental consent is never needed <laughs> at any age, as long as the doctor thinks it's necessary and that the doctor feels the child can understand. So there's no bottom age limit. That could be a 10 year old, I guess, nine year old, mm. 11 year old, 12 year old, who knows? Depends on the kids, according to those rules. But we've seen children there was a famous case here of a father who went to jail this year because he kept speaking out against his daughter transitioning against his will because at the age of 13, this girl who the very first year they started teaching gender identity ideology in schools, elementary schools, that very first year she decided she was a boy. She was sent to a psychologist who our government leans on for expertise expertise. This man is an ideologue. He is transitioning, per his own words, over 1,000 children just in British Columbia. And included in that number are over 500 children in state care. Orphans, wow. kids from abusive families. About half of those kids will be Indigenous, 52% of all kids in state care in Canada are Indigenous. So that's about 250 Indigenous children probably. 
they're not all medically transitioning, of course, because they only do that when they get to a pubescent age, but he's even transitioning kids as young as two years and nine months old, he said, socially transitioning. So it's just nuts. But anyway, the school sent this girl to him. He sent her to the children's hospital. The children's hospital decided at 13 years of age to give this girl testosterone. The father wouldn't sign the consent form. He was sent a letter, and I have a copy of it, that literally states, and it cites the Infant Act, that law we were talking about. It literally states that parents can be friends and advisors to their children. But they can't intervene in this medical malpractice, which is what it is. This is child abuse. These are ideological doctors. Uh, we tend to give doctors too much credit. Like what a doctor says is mm. we're supposed to just listen to it, right? But doctors are just people like anyone else with all sorts of religions and beliefs and mm. cultish practices as well. And of course, you'll get doctors who are enamored with this ideology. And they're not neutral parties at all in this. Every single child that comes into these gender clinics now, the rule is to practice what's called gender affirming care, which literally means no questioning of the child. If a girl says she's a boy, they affirm only. They say, yes, that's right, you are a boy. And it's straight on to pharmaceuticals, cross-sex hormones. And surgeries too. We have minors getting double mastectomies. Um, they won't perform the full sex reassignment surgery for boys until they're 18 in Canada. I know you can find doctors elsewhere that'll do it. But the problem with this as well is their genitals stop forming. So you get these 18 year old boys with micro penises. And if they want to have the sex reassignment surgery, there's not enough tissue there. Because what they do is they invert the penis to make a neo vagina, but there's not enough tissue to do it. So they end up taking a piece of the child's colon out in order to form this neo-vagina. And I'm sorry if I'm getting too graphic, but I don't usually get into this. I do once in a while because it's what's happening. You know, it's just the truth and mm. it's child abuse. And these kids, it's, you know, you read the stories of these kids that grow up and regret it and suicidality goes up, if anything. And these kids can't hold a relationship and their sexual function is destroyed. And, and everyone just keeps going about their daily lives like this isn't happening. And the parents whose children are affected by this can't really speak out. The parents can't speak out because then they risk alienating their child. Mm. So one day I just said to myself, you know, do you want to look back at your life in 40 years and, and say that you knew all this child abuse was going on, but you did nothing about it? And it just didn't sit well with me. So I've upended my life <laughs> and I'm out there standing on the street like a crazy person having one conversation at a time. And it's not just uh, this sort of gender deconstruction. There's quite recently we've had a real acceleration of what, what I call deconstructionism. So the belief that everything is, is socially constructed and thus uh, can easily be deconstructed and it, it feels as if it, it's really been accelerating in, in Canada recently uh, every time I look in the news so uh, we've had the statue toppling everywhere but I, I saw Queen Victoria yeah. was removed uh, recently there was a story about the universities burning books with um, pictures of indigenous people in Tintin and uh, Asterix and you had Trudeau, who recently said that Canada was the first uh, post-national state with no core identity. Is anybody fighting back against this? Well, <laughs> you know, I think part of the problem with Canada is we've never had to really protest anything. Because for a long time, life's been pretty good and pretty fair in Canada. And we've never developed that kind of protest identity, but it's forming. The thing is all of our major political parties and including our conservative party, 
they're increasingly going more left, more left, more progressive. And nothing wrong with being progressive, but progressive doesn't actually mean progressive these days. So a lot of the time it means regressive or just flat out insane. And so we have an upstart party called the People's Party of Canada. They're probably gonna secure about 5% of the vote in this upcoming election. And those are people who are really tired of what's going on. Um, you do get some more extreme people in there because I guess they have to find a home, but the bulk of them are just regular people who are tired of what's going on. And they can't in good conscience vote for any of these other parties. I can't vote for any of these other parties. My member of parliament, who I talked to just a couple of weeks ago, I ran, in, ran into her in the parking lot at the supermarket. She voted yes to this bill that would basically ban counseling for these children who are struggling. I can't in good conscience vote for her. How can I do that? I'm the only person in Canada going out on the street on a regular basis campaigning against the bill. I can't possibly vote for her or any of the other parties. So the only party that's come out speaking against this is the People's Party of Canada. Uh, they won't win any seats. Maxime Bernier, the leader, might win his seat back, um, but we'll see. He was, by the way, almost the leader of the Conservative Party mm. a few years ago. He lost out by 1% in the internal leadership battle to lead the Conservatives. And when he lost, he left and formed his own party because the Conservative Party isn't the Conservative Party anymore. Yeah, and, and we'll move on to this, actually, the, the election itself. Um, what's interesting, actually, it seems like Canada has had its uh, David Cameron moment because uh, so a, a few years back, um, the Conservative Party went through a, what they like to label themselves a, a period of detoxification. So essentially, they wanted to remove the socially conservative aspect of their party and basically David Cameron was the, the legacy of, of Tony Blair and, and that's when the uh, essentially the the Conservative Party became socially progressive or socially liberal and uh, from what I've read uh, Erin O'Toole the, the current Conservative leaders that the first uh, Conservative leader who's openly pro-choice uh, he says he's a uh, a friend of the LGBT community. So it, it seems that the Conservative Party has moved direction to a socially liberal stance now. Yeah, Aaron O'Toole is an interesting figure. Um, first of all, obviously, we should all be friendly to the LGBT community. Mm. These are all people. And people's sexual orientation, the LGB, is immutable. We should never try to change it. And we should just accept these people and love these people. They're all just people. We're all people struggling to get through the day. But there's the virtue signaling aspect of this and there's the denial of reality itself. And when it comes to the T, um, this isn't the new gay rights movement. This isn't what it is. And that's what a lot of people think this is. They think it's just about acceptance and inclusion, but it's not. And anyway, we've covered that enough. But Aaron O'Toole, I'm sure if I had dinner with Aaron O'Toole and we just hung out and went golfing, I'm sure we could get along just fine. But I do not consider him to be a genuine person. He literally, I was in Ottawa in front of the House of Commons and there's only one entrance into that building. And I stand on the street when I'm there kind of near the entrance. And he was coming back from lunch and he got to the crosswalk I was at and he hit the button to cross the street and he looked up and he saw me standing there with my sign on saying children cannot <laughs> consent to puberty blockers. And I kid you not, he was with three other people. They were all masked up outside, of course, because he's, he's just interested in signaling his virtue. He walked the wrong way down the street. All he had to do was cross the street to go to the entrance. He saw me and he walked 150 yards in the wrong direction to the next street. So I just walked down the other side <laughs> and met him down there. And then he crossed the crosswalk. He refused to speak to me. And then he walked all the way back up the ramp to the entrance he was already at. And 
it struck me how absurd that is. I'm literally standing on the street. I'm a fairly normal person wearing the most conservative message possible, which is children can't, con can't consent to child abuse. And this guy can't even confront me. And he's the leader of the conservative party. He is trying to straddle the fence between being a liberal and being a conservative. Mm. He's trying to attract liberal votes. And that's never going to work. It's just not going to work. Mm. All he's doing is losing conservative voters. And what all of these politicians need to understand is you're not going to lose support when you speak out for the protection of children. Because more than 90% of the people I run into on the street are drastically in favor of what I'm doing. It's just the minority that's really loud. So yeah, Aaron O'Toole is going way left. That's why the PPC is rising up. Um, Justin Trudeau is basically campaigning on vaccine mandates and he's being really divisive. People do have reasons for not wanting to take the vaccine. And we don't need to get into all of that, but these aren't all crazy people. And there's nothing wrong with having hesitancy about a new vaccine when people have heard bad stories about reactions. There's nothing wrong with having hesitancy about it being given to your children because children are basically 0.00% mm. at risk from this virus. Yes, I understand there are symptoms and some of them last for a few months but it's a really tiny number. And what's going on is just really divisive tactics. And I know that Trudeau, so Trudeau called an election in order to get a majority government. He had a minority government. So we have the same system as they have in the UK. And because we have several parties, oftentimes, the party with the most seats doesn't have a majority of seats. So then they need to work with another party. And Trudeau really didn't need to call an election to get his agenda completed because he, have, he has the even further left New Democratic Party or the NDP, basically on his side for all of the progressive policies that he was trying to push through. But he wanted a majority and he was following the lead of our premier, here in British Columbia, our premier, whose name is John Horgan. John Horgan called an election last year. We had an election last October in BC and he won. And he called it at the time he called it in late summer because COVID cases were way down and he thought he could ride the performance, the handling of our province, the way we've handled the COVID. He thought he could ride that to a majority. And he was right. And Trudeau, I know, has met with him. And I think Trudeau read the room really badly because this isn't a year ago. This is a year later. And there's been a ton of lockdowns. And a lot of people are angry. And a lot of people have had their businesses destroyed, their lives upended. There's been a lot of harm dealt to good people. And Trudeau, I think, has been blindsided by the amount of anger towards him. But when he's out there campaigning, he never acknowledges that government policies, government flip-flops, government lies have anything to do with the anger. He always blames the angry people. And so he's just a really divisive prime minister. And he refuses to acknowledge the truth, the science about a lot of things. And I really hope he doesn't win, but it's neck and neck right now. And we'll see. We'll see. Canada is a pretty left-leaning country, so I'd say it's about 50-50 right now. It's going to be him or O'Toole with a minority government. They're definitely not going to be a majority. Uh, it, it's quite uh, funny, actually. He seems to be copying, well, probably not directly copying, but it's very similar tactics to what uh, Emmanuel Macron has deployed in France. So next April, France will have a presidential election. And uh, Macron essentially used, uh, so he, he had a televised presidential speech when he made his big announcement that 
he was going to introduce the, the vaccine passport. And in France, it's very strict. So if you're not vaccinated, you can't enter a restaurant, cafe, mm. uh, most day-to-day places. And actually, he's used that as a platform for his own presidential race. And it, he's been, I think, purposely dividing the country. And essentially, because the French voting system, uh, it's a two-round system. So in order to get into the second round, he just needs to secure uh, around 22%, and he's guaranteed in the next round. And if he's facing Marine Le Pen, he will always win. She's, for me, the controlled opposition. Uh, essentially, she's put into the last two, so the the candidate they want to win wins. But... Uh, yeah, essentially the next day he makes his big speech. He started his presidential campaign off the back of this divisive policy. And eventually, uh, essentially his tactic is to turn the vaccinated onto the non-vaccinated and everywhere in the media. It's, it's quite disheartening uh, because people are protesting every weekend and they're being labelled anti-vaxxers when the majority are actually vaccinated. They just don't believe yeah. uh, in this particular policy and uh yeah it's sadly it looks as if Trudeau's sort of trying to emulate that by turning vaccinated onto unvaccinated yeah and it's a really cynical way to be but this is the state of our politicians today it's just a really terrible tactic to purposely try to vilify maybe 20% 20% of your population. Um, yeah, I'm vaccinated, but I'm also very much against the vaccine passport because mm. it's just, yeah, we don't, we don't need to get into all that, but, but I don't, there's numerous reasons that it's uh, not the right thing in my opinion. But another problem with our politics in Canada, especially, For example, I would never be permitted to run for the Conservative Party because when they vet candidates today Mm. for all these main political parties, they're not looking into your past to see what bad things you've done. They might do that as well. But really what they want is somebody who follows the rules. Mm. They want someone who complies with their leader. You can't be a maverick. You can't have ideas of your own. And if anyone were to speak out against Trudeau's policies in the Liberal Party, they'd be kicked out of the caucus. Mm. They'd be kicked out of the party. Same thing in the Conservative Party. We've seen this. Aaron O'Toole got rid of a man named Derek Sloan because he's more socially conservative. He used an excuse about a, I think it was a $130 donation that came into Derek Sloan's campaign from a man named Paul Fromm, who basically no one's ever heard of. I'd never heard of him. Apparently this Paul Fromm character is some white supremacist guy who donated to Derek Sloan's campaign under the name C. Fromm, not even his real name. So, I mean, it's just nuts. You get a tiny donation. Of course, these MPs aren't looking at every little donation that comes into their Mm. campaign. So that was just an excuse to get rid of him. Uh, there was this other popular conservative named Pierre Poiliev, who is still in the party, but he was removed from a important position of uh, shadow minister for finance because he's too popular. And I've been in Ottawa and I've talked to conservatives there and they told me point blank, yeah, I'd never be allowed in the party strictly because I'm speaking out for the protection of children. Mm-hmm. But because it's perceived to be controversial, even though there's nothing controversial about it, once you understand what's going on, uh, they would never have me. So extend that to the whole country. The only people who are allowed in these parties are followers. Mm. You're never gonna have strong leaders doing that. You're only gonna get people who play along and go along and sacrifice their own integrity because you Mm. always have to sacrifice your integrity to play along with these people who are at the peak of power in this country. So it's just a totally flawed system. At least in the United States, you get Republicans voting against the Republican leader. You get Democrats voting against their Democratic leader. 
and they don't suffer ill consequences for it. So yeah, we don't really have proper democracy in my opinion. It's a similar problem in the UK. Actually, we have a lot of, uh, this has been spoken about quite recently in our magazine is entryism into the Conservative Party uh, and into the Labour Party as well. And uh, Peter Hitchens, uh, a prominent uh, Conservative uh, writer, was talking about, uh, for example, when we had the referendum on um, on a gay marriage, the reason simply why David Cameron had this referendum, he could have sorted this out in the parliament itself. It really didn't need to go to a referendum, but essentially it was to sort of humiliate those who were the socially conservative within his party. Uh, I myself, I'm, I'm in favor of gay marriage. I, I don't see any problem, uh, but I understand there are also a lot of people who aren't homophobic, who, but who want to protect the conservative idea of marriage. Uh, mm -hmm. But these people were just dragged through the mud and it was a way of trying to, again, as, as this label, to try and detoxify the party. And now the problem is entryism into both Labour and the Conservatives. It's impossible to be independent-minded in these parties. You have to toe the line. And uh, I, I myself, actually, a few years ago, tried to run uh, as a Labour candidate when I was younger. As soon as they heard I was in favour of Brexit, it was just uh, they, they saw me out the door. There was no uh, absolute no chance they were allowing me to to ever represent the party. And um, and now. With the Labour Party as well, you, you were starting to see all all women or all minority lists. Um, so uh, opportunities have been the doors being closed on a lot of people. Uh, it's really, as you said, it's this. It's not that they believe it's the right thing. It's just to look good rather than be, do something good. And it, it's yeah. problem plaguing our our politics now. Yeah, we need some real leaders to rise up somehow, but the system is preventing it from happening. You know, real strong leaders. Mm. It's, it's concerning, but what are we going to do? Just, I just, uh, we just got to keep fighting every day to do what we think is right and can't worry about everything. But some things we do have to worry about and fight strongly every day. And uh, in my estimation, nothing's more important than this uh, giant medical scandal affecting kids. So that's my stand. Uh, just to remind us of the previous election result then. So uh, actually the Conservative Party won the popular vote uh, by around 1%, 34 to 33%. But just like in England, you have a first past the post system mm -hmm. so actually the liberal party ended up on top with 157 seats they were down 20 and they most importantly lost their majority conservatives 121 seats they were up 26 from the last election the bloc Québécois, who are the mm. uh, quebec uh, nationalists they were up from um, up three percent to around seven and a half percent and they were up 22, they, they increased 22 seats to 32, which meant that they officially re regained their recognised party status, uh, which means they're granted questions um, for, uh, is it, do you have a prime minister's questions as well? Seth? What do you mean? Uh, like in the British Parliament, we have prime minister's question, questions to the prime minister. Uh, every week yeah. oh we have a question period yeah yeah um, I don't think he always takes part in it but yeah well, I'm sure we have something similar to that uh, fortunately I don't spend too much time watching <laughs> the inner workings of parliament yeah. that wouldn't be good for my brain but uh, yeah we have we have these five parties now six we have the greens as well which have I think currently two seats but 
Yeah, it's just a bit of a mess. We have the Bloc Québécois who, as you said, are a nationalist party. They want to separate from Canada. Uh, they only run candidates in Quebec, of course, mm. and yet their leader gets time in our national debate. Whereas Maxime Bernier, leader of the PPC, who's polling higher overall, is not allowed in, even though they're running a candidate in almost every riding. So it's just a bit strange, but um, yeah, it's difficult these days for any party to win a majority. And who knows what's going to happen, but I think for sure we're going to have another minority. Aaron O'Toole replaced Andrew Scheer, who beat out Maxine Bernier for one by 1% to the leadership of the Conservative Party. Andrew Scheer lost the last election. And I don't think Aaron O'Toole will last if he loses this one. He'll probably find another leader. And so the one hopeful thing, I think, is the rise of the PPC, the People's Party, the more conservative party. I think that's sending a message to the existing conservative party mm. because they're losing people. And we're actually seeing people even from the NDP, which is a pretty radical far left party. We're seeing them go over to the PPC, which is kind of mind boggling to me. But a lot of people these days are voting on single issues because for example, women who are seeing their women's rights affected uh, they might not care so much about fiscal policy, but they certainly care that male rapists are going into women's prisons and men are coming into rape shelters and men are coming into women's sports and beating up women. So, you know, some people will vote just to see Bill C-16 repealed, which is the law that granted men the right to just simply identify as a woman. And then you can't discriminate against them based on that, which means if a man says he's a woman, he can go into a woman's prison, rape shelter, washroom, sport, whatever. Um, I know England is being very successful in fighting back a lot of these crazy policies, but we haven't had any of that success. So the only party who's spoken out against this is the People's Party. So you are getting feminists, you're getting conservatives, you're getting all sorts of people from all over the political spectrum uh, going over to that party. So I'm hopeful that the Conservative Party will wake up a bit after this election and realize that, that there's still a need for conservative policies because Aaron O'Toole doesn't seem to be conserving anything except for Trudeau's latest policy. And on the issues of uh, hot uh, policies, which uh... Uh, which areas of policies have been particularly talked about the most during this election campaign, would you say? I'd say this campaign is all about the vaccine mandates. They're, Trudeau wants to make it impossible for you to fly, get on a train, get on a ferry, unless you've been vaccinated. Um, different provinces, including mine now, you can't go into a restaurant unless you show proof of your vaccination. Um, and they're, they're using this. I think Trudeau is, he's got his focus groups and they've decided that this is how they're gonna win the election. And it's honestly, he's the main topic dominating everything. Trudeau always likes to bring abortion into it as well, even though that's a totally non-issue. Mm. The Supreme Court settled this years and years ago. And it doesn't matter what any conservative leader feels personally, there's no chance they're going to uh, upturn the right to have an abortion in this country. So it's a moot point, but Trudeau likes to hammer that uh, because he's, that's just who he is. He's a very fake person. And yeah, I mean, that's basically the only issues. When someone brought up monetary policy to Justin Trudeau, he laughed it off <laughs> and said that he wasn't gonna worry about a thing like monetary policy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's all in on the vaccine mandate because a lot of people are fearful and a lot of people do think it's right. But this is a nuanced discussion and there's more to it than just simply protecting people. There's a lot more to this discussion and there are plenty of logical reasons people aren't in favor of it. When you give a government too much power, they tend to not want to give it back. So uh, I'm not too worried in the long run. We still have democracy in this country and if things get too crazy, I believe we will eventually vote these people out of power. But we might need four more years of Trudeau 
in order to waken up wake up enough mm. Canadians to what's going on, and then we can write the ship. But I certainly hope not. I'm no O'Toole fan, but I hope he wins the election and gets a minority, because at least then we won't be bringing back Phil C6. And who knows? There's even a chance they might try to repeal C16, although I doubt it with that guy in power. It's interesting what you said about uh, Trudeau laughing off the monetary policy, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was saying, that, I think he said that inflation was not a, a priority. Uh, actually, the, the National Post, I, I'm not too aware of Canadian uh, newspapers. So I hope I'm not quoting a rag, but uh, they. No, it's a good one. Okay, they, they did a recent survey asking Canadians what their top priorities are and, and cost of living uh, was the top priority and post-pandemic uh, post uh, economic recovery. So I see that, that I, I think uh, Trudeau has, has scored a bit of an own goal there because it, it seems to be something uh, which I've noticed as well is um, you go around... People who are into politics, they come out with all these, or people who are activists, they, they're constantly arguing about these small issues such as, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but uh, most people, they just want a decent job, security, right. their family, uh, lowish taxes, decent public services. And it's often something that, uh, our politicians aren't really talking about. It's always about the economy. It's always yeah. about the economy. What's that line? Was it Bill Clinton? It's the economy, stupid. You know, it's always about the economy because what does the average person do every day? They go to work. They try to make some money to feed their family and get them through school and have the odd holiday. And housing prices in Canada are insane. So for the younger generation, it's impossible to buy a house. They have to uh, settle for a townhome or a condo and maybe eventually work their way up. Mm. But you know, when the average house, even in the suburbs of Vancouver, in the suburbs is a million and a half dollars. I mean, I mean, it's just impossible for any young person mm. to get a house. So that's a huge issue. Uh, Trudeau is now proposing, I think, a 20% tax on foreign ownership. Uh, O'Toole has proposed this as well. I don't know about the number, but O'Toole has also proposed a ban on foreign ownership for a couple of years. This has been done. We've done this in British Columbia. Provincially, we have a 20% tax on foreign buyers. And it's done nothing at all to halt the increase in housing prices. There's plenty of ways around it, you know. So, yeah, they just they just throw this stuff out there. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they just make up policies on the go because it sounds good to people. And I have seen people say, "Oh yeah, great policy," but you know, when you look into it, well, it's already been done and it doesn't it doesn't work. And it's probably just a fact of life now that housing prices are always going to be incredibly expensive. And those years where young people could get a home and get a mortgage are done. And that's just the way it's gonna be unless they go way out in the, into the suburbs. So, I mean, you could try increasing the supply, you could build a lot more homes because there's supply and demand economics. I have an economics background. I was, I've been a financial advisor for 20 years. There are smarter things that can be done, but uh, those policies don't exist among any of our governments. And it's kind of striking how Aaron O'Toole and Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, they all essentially have the same policies. Aaron O'Toole might be a tiny bit more conservative, but he's basically a liberal now. And uh, it's just a strange time in the world. It's a really strange time. And in the Canada, I, I believe you're particularly strict about school closures. In a lot of areas, schools were closed for, for over a year. Uh, from what, from I think what in some been... areas, yeah, in some areas, we didn't have that here. Okay. In BC, I, I know in the Maritimes, that was the case. I think in Ontario, for some of the time anyway, kids were at home more. Uh, we did have that for a little while here. 
when the pandemic first started, but then kids got back into school. But they're all masked up. In BC, every kid from grade four on up is required to wear a mask. And again, this is just the state of the world. This is only because the union demanded it. Bonnie Henry, our mm. provincial health officer, wasn't going to require it uh, because we know there's not a ton of transmission going on in schools. They've got all their other protocols in place. Kids are asymptomatic. Asymptomatic spread is um, incredibly small. There have been no outbreaks in schools. There's, of course, the odd infection here and there. But I get a notice every time a child tests positive in my kid's school. And there's never been um, there's never been a lot of this going on. And personally, I don't agree that we should be masking all these children all year, all day long in school. I don't think it's good for them. And there's different reasons for that. If people want to mask up their children, I guess that's their choice, but we don't even have that choice. So it's all these sorts of things that um, are causing people to reject the mainstream political parties. And that's why we've seen a surge some polls are up to 12% for this upstart party, the People's Party. Um, and if they get 5% of the national vote, they get government funding. And it probably changes the game going forward here mm. because they'll become, you know, a proper party. And I'm sure they'll improve their own internal workings and all that sort of stuff. And it could change the landscape for many years to come because it also splits the conservative vote. But uh it's going to be interesting what happens in a few days' time, that's for sure. And on a, a last policy note, uh, so I, I noticed that uh, during the pandemic, the Liberals, the liberals have run up a, a record national debt of over a trillion Canadian dollars. What are the, the main party policies to try and recover economically after this <laughs> pandemic? If there are any. Have any. <laughs> They don't have any. I think Trudeau is borrowing $450 million a day, which is, which is quite a lot for our little country. Um, and then he'll say, oh, but GDP, but debt or deficit as a percentage of GDP is going down. And well, sure, because the economy's recovered in the past year because COVID restrictions have let up a bit. Obviously, that's going to happen. It's just a spin. Um, now, Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, he's the same as Trudeau. He's just promising spending, 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 spending for all sorts of things. They're all just trying to buy the vote. So there's really hardly any difference between them. And they don't have any plan to eventually balance the budget or get things going. And one of the strongest aspects for Canada is our resource industry. But of course, developing your resources is also seen as being taboo these days. All the parties would rather import oil from Saudi Arabia, which is dirtier oil, where there's no regulation. They would rather do that than produce our own oil with strong regulations, where it's much cleaner. And, you know, because it's all about how you appear. It's not about reality, it's just about how they appear. Mm -hmm. So it's weak. It's just weak. You have to do what's right, not what just looks to be right. And mm -hmm. none of our leaders want to do that. So let, let's uh, go into a bit of a prediction then. So I was looking at the opinion polls and what was quite interesting is that uh, so between the 22nd of March 2020 and the 15th of August this year, the Liberals led every single poll apart from one. And then around the 23rd of August until the 10th of September, the Conservatives flipped it and were leading the majority of polls. And now, so the, the polls from the last two days, I have one poll where the, uh, the Liberals are leading by around 1%. I've got another poll where the Conservatives are leading by 1% and another poll where the Liberals are leading by about 2 or 3%. What's interesting, actually, is on the Main Street research uh, polls, uh, the People's Party are polling at 9.1%, close to 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, it looks as if uh, the Conservatives could be missing out on, uh, on being the biggest party 
solely well, because of mm -hmm. the People's Party. Yeah, I mean, they lost out on my vote, but certainly a lot of conservatives are switching to the PPC. Some other parties are too, but most of them would come from the Conservative Party. I saw today an exit poll for people who've already voted had the PPC at about 4%, which is double what they had previously. Mm. I think when all is said and done, I think I think they have a good chance of getting above five. The rallies that he's getting, that Maxime Bernier is getting, show a lot. He's getting a lot of people to come out. It's not happening for the other political leaders. And he's very busy. He's got the busiest schedule of all. Um, and it's resonating with people. But you probably need about 35 or 36% of the vote in Canada and to get a majority even um, the way it works out the NDP poll at around I don't know 15 20 percent mm. probably 20 percent which isn't very high but they still get a lot of seats because some areas they're very strong in other areas they're not but I would predict at this point I think it's really hard to change a liberal voter's mind they just they read no matter what. And most people in Canada don't really pay much attention, to be honest, to politics. So I think it's gonna be difficult to unseat Trudeau. The recent polls have been a little disheartening, but it's neck and neck. I wouldn't be surprised at all if O'Toole does pull out a minority, but it's impossible to say at this point. It's about the voter turnout, really. I think our mail-in ballots are up 18% this year. We had almost 6 million mail-in ballots. So the turnout should be strong. And I'm thinking that probably favors the Conservatives because when, because Liberals don't really have that much to vote for right now. <laughs> they're not outraged by anything, you know? They're, they're happy that there are lockdowns and they're happy that there are vaccine mandates. And the people who are unhappy about that, unhappy people, angry people are more likely to vote instead mm. of the people that are just kind of, you know, yeah. whatever. And those angry people are not going to be voting for Trudeau right now. <laughs> so there's a chance he doesn't win. I, I've been looking at some of the key uh, battlegrounds. Um, I don't know what you think, but uh, there seems to be some hope uh, around the Toronto area. Uh, so in the centre of Toronto, the Liberals are getting quite worried that they're losing votes to the NDP. And actually on the on the outside of Toronto, the, what we call the 905 uh, commuter community, so those who live outside Toronto and commute to work, uh, they seem to be um, going more towards the Conservatives because of uh, what they believe will be uh, lower taxes and... Um, improving their, their cost, cost of living. Uh, are, are there any other battlegrounds where Liberals could lose, Conservatives could win? Anything we should look out for? I think the Liberals might lose some seats in BC to the NDP. So we do have these two left-wing parties that kind of split each other's vote. Um, it always comes down to Ontario and of course the vote heavy Toronto area. Ontario and Quebec have way more seats than the rest of Canada. You mentioned earlier the Conservatives actually had the popular vote last time, but it's said that their vote isn't as efficient because they dominate in the prairies, Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, but those aren't seat heavy areas. Um, it always comes down to Ontario. So we shall see. I think Quebec, the Bloc Quebecois, um, they might be picking up some seats as well, but the conservatives, it's really tough to say at this point, we're just going to have to see because it all depends on turnout. And mm. this is a tough election to read because so much of it is about COVID and people are really divided on how to handle things and it all depends on turnout. 
So I think the conservatives are going to get a better turnout and the PCC are going to get a great turnout. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to supporters of a party, the PPC supporters are all going to vote. Is this? Because they're the most upset with what's going on. And there's a ton of new voters going to the PPC. So when this campaign started, honestly, I thought O'Toole had no choice, no chance. Um, and I was hoping that the Conservative Party got completely annihilated <laughs> because they need to rebuild an actual Conservative mm. Party because they've lost their identity, in my opinion. And I'm right. <laughs> They're not a Conservative Party anymore. So I was hoping they got demolished and took some lessons from it and elected a leader with a bit more bravery. But at this point, I hope they do get a minority because at least it'll stop some of the most insane progressive policies that Trudeau is proposing. Mm. But yeah, I think it's impossible to say it's neck and neck and it's gonna depend on what happens in the last few days, honestly. Aaron O'Toole's taken off the gloves a little bit. He's finally come out swinging a bit against Trudeau. Um, Trudeau looks frantic in all of his appearances. He talks aggressively, he's not calm, he's very defensive. The debate that was on TV, O'Toole was calm and collected but it doesn't seem to have helped him out in the polls at all. Trudeau's been making back some ground. But you know, these polls don't mean much at the end of the day. Only one poll matters, so we'll see what happens. It's similar to uh, what Peter Hitchens uh, has been saying for a while, was uh, we should have destroyed our Conservative Party in 2010 because uh, Blair had won three elections in a row and one more victory for Labour and one more defeat for the Conservatives, they would have destroyed the party because people stopped donating. It's like you, you don't back a horse who you know is going to lose. Yeah. And uh, it would have been a great opportunity to, to start again and uh, build a truly Conservative party. But uh, we chose to uh, put the uh, Conservatives into a coalition government in 2010. And since then, we've just been going a one-way street to, to double-dose liberalism. Um, but hopefully, with your, uh, with the People's Party, it could it could be a UKIP moment for for Canada, where uh, UKIP uh, in 2015 they only won one seat because of first past the post, but they they won millions of votes, and because of that pressure, the Conservatives held the Brexit referendum. It could be the start of, of possibly your UKIP moment. Uh, with interesting, yeah, I've I've heard that reference before. I mean, certainly, you know, it's it's, and I know all these Conservative MPs aren't even happy with those because I've talked to some of them. And on Bill C six, the party split, which is really unusual. The majority of Conservatives, the slight majority, I think sixty MPs versus fifty one or something like that voted no to that bill. Um, and I know a lot more would have voted no, but they're just not interested in taking the heat mm -hmm. from the activists. But if they had a stronger party and they had a majority, I'm sure almost all of them would have voted no because it's just a crazy bill. But it's like so many things these days, they write the bill in such a way they conflate sexual orientation and gender identity. And of course we shouldn't convert people based on their sexual orientation. It's a non-existent practice anyway, it's not going on. But the real purpose of that bill, which is written by activists, is essentially to transition more of our children. So, but they don't talk about that, you know? So anyway, yeah, I hope, I think the PPC is, um, I think this is going to be a bit of a historic time when we look back in history. This will be a bit of a turning point to wake up the Conservative Party because they've lost their identity and mm. they need to get it back. So to finish off with then, so that the polling average seat projection currently has the Liberals on 151, down six. Conservatives 122, so up one. NDP on 35, so up 11. Bloc Québécois down three to 29 and the Greens just on one. Uh, so in terms of the odds that the bookies are offering, so 
Uh, William Hill have the Liberals at one to three. Uh, and the Conservatives, their best odds are 11 to four. Uh, if you were a gambling man, would you tip anyone? With, with those numbers, I would take the Conservatives. That's, that's a good buy. And I wish we had bookies for political events here in Canada, but we don't. I love how in the UK they bet on everything. But yeah, I've seen other, um, I think it's, uh, what's it called? Canada338.com or something. Yeah. They're kind of the main pollsters that they have all the different polling numbers. It's maybe a 30% chance, I think, for the Conservatives to get in. But, you know, I want to say this reminds me a little bit of the 2016 U.S. election where everyone discounted Trump and then he got in. Um, all the polls, of course, had the Democrats winning. Now, Aaron O'Toole is nothing, of course, like Trump at all. But I think right-wing voters or conservative voters, uh, they're not all going to vote PPC. The conservatives are still going to get the vast majority of those votes. And I think they're more motivated. So we'll see. I don't think the left side of this political spectrum is that motivated to vote. But we'll see what happens. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if conservatives pull off a minority. Hmm. Okay. Uh, hmm. I would say uh, to everyone, keep an eye on La Prairie riding, which is in Quebec, uh, because it seems to be a good bellwether of how well a party is doing. So 2011, they voted NDP, which is their best ever results, over 100 seats. 2015, they voted Liberals when they got their majority. And in 2019, they voted for the Bloc Québécois, who... Uh, increased their seats by over 20 and had their official party status reinstated. So keep an eye on uh, that result. And it's a bit like the Ohio of Canada. It usually backs right. the, the good horse. Uh, so uh, Chris, uh, thanks very much for coming on. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, and Thank you, everyone. Uh, it's uh, uh, the, our next episode will be the German uh, elections for the chancellorship. Whoever will be taking over Angela Merkel. So uh, sit tight for that one, and uh, we'll see, see each other soon. Bye bye.